Angeles and Memorial. I'm your host, the Wizard of Waz, Angie Wozniak. And today we're going to be doing uh, the podcast called Sharing a Stream with Kira. She'll be talking about uh, Scream movies. Uh, let me do introduce you to Kira. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. Really excited to be here. Love the Scream films. What's uh, your history with them? Well, the first one came out in 1996, Wes Craven, and uh, it was great. I had an amazing time watching it. Uh, the concept of having two killers really threw me because I grew up slasher films where it was always like Michael Myers or Jason. It was always one killer. Right. So I think I really enjoyed that what Wes Craven does within these films is he really subverts every like you brought up with the two killers because it throws you off because you're like oh it's definitely Stu he leaves he says I'll be right back breaks the number one cardinal rule from Randy which we'll get back to um but then it also goes against the ideas of like not being able to like do drugs or party or have sex or have any agency really outside of being like an innocent virgin and Sydney does all that while she kills her abuser and she actually avenges her mom's killer which is kind of wild if you think about it for the time pretty empowering yeah because um uh, what he caught went to jail um believing that uh, he was the killer and yeah caught and weary and um you know the whole time he was in prison like and you know it goes into the thing about like false accusations and people that are in prison and it hit a hit a uh, hot spot in life because you know a lot of people were going to prison for crimes that weren't you know something they committed like dna came out and it like opened up whole new doorways to people's trials and freed a lot of people so it was like a good good way to get that in there i totally agree and it's crazy to think of because I know we're going to contrast with the newest movie that came out because the beginning films have a very heavy um, police presence. We have Sher uh, Deputy D uh, Dewey and then um, the sheriff's name from the first one. So we actually just looked it up. It was Sheriff Burke. So <laughs> we, had a, we had a tactical uh, difficulty right there because neither one of us knew who the sheriff was in the original. Well, that's because Dewey's the only really important one. He's the one that comes back. And then um, in the third one, we have Deputy Judy Hicks who's helping Dewey. And then we see her become sheriff in the fourth, I mean in the fifth, which is interesting because now with there's such an anti-police movement, she's one one of the first deaths in the movie. Oh, spoilers. Sorry, I should have done a spoiler. Should have done a spoiler. <laughs> um, she has one of the first deaths in the movie. And then after that, there's no real police presence. It's all individual, which is very different. Because, I mean, Dewey's a disgraced cop. He, he, he retired. So I didn't know that. I haven't seen I haven't seen the fifth movie and I haven't seen the fourth movie. Uh, I got one, two, three undercover, though. I got that. I got those on lock in because that was like my generation of watching movies because like all that, like Nev Campbell and them were coming out and It was like famous people and uh, same thing with uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer. It was always like who's going to be the next star in the movie and who's going to die. So it was kind of like, you know, those two movies were contrasting each other. So. And it's really interesting because when Scream was made, the only big name in it was Drew Barrymore and uh, she dies within the first 10 minutes. So and then it really I think that really opened it up to wow, anyone can get killed. Star power means nothing to Wes Craven in this universe of movies, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, I agree. When Drew Barrymore got killed, I was like, what? What do you mean? What, what, what just happened here? I'm like, <laughs> You know, isn't she the star? So it kind of threw me off. When you're watching the movie and it starts out, you're like, oh, it's Drew Barrymore. Obviously, she's the star of this movie. And then like 10 minutes in, she's hanging from a tree and you're like, oh, well, that sucks. So, yeah, you know, you know, and like I said, you don't know what's going to happen because like it opened the door like no one's safe. And I, I, I've always liked that no one's safe. You know, that's why I'm a big fan of Game of Thrones because no one was safe. Oh, yeah. I think like didn't they kill off Ned Stark right at the end of season one? Just everyone died. <laughs> no regard for human life there. Just like these movies, they have no regard for human life. I mean, Billy and Stu kill Sydney's mom kill all their friends basically kill countless other people and then inspire all these other mur uh, murder series so wild what how do you feel um in S scream 3 it's kind of revealed that roman sydney's half-brother kind of orchestrated everything between convincing billy and showing him the tapes of like the cheating do you think that did you like that tie-in or did you fi find it harsh i didn't really like it i thought that you know i grade it you get the brother in there and you know he's 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 the mastermind behind it it kind of contrasted what they said in number one 
one because number one Billy says you know this is my idea I thought it up and you know then it goes oh well wait no it was it was her brother it's like what no that's not what they said in the first movie it was all Billy Loomis and you know it was his idea to get vengeance for the mother being a, a tramp exactly and uh, Randy has a great line when he says uh, it's the millennial motives are insensitive in- 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 I pronounce that word right oh. <laughs> sorry I'm bad at pronouncing <laughs> oh my god no, neither me but I think it's really interesting because then when they're killing her in the kitchen he's like no it means nothing it's not I'm not gonna give you a speech I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna feed into that which also Mike Myers says in the first Halloween he actually never speaks you never get that big soliloquy of why he's a killer and then in the third Halloween they try and make him Laurie's brother so you could see the parallels there between Scream really just taking a dig at all the other horrors that it took from yeah definitely Wes Craven was like implementing different things for different movies and like you know taking shots at movies you know like Halloween and Friday 13 and you know and it was a good the way he did it was really good because it made you sit there and look at the movie and go oh, this is interesting you know it captures you you know like you know the plot the plots about the movies and how like nothing follows suit of the slasher films from before and it's all it opened a whole new genre where you could have multiple killers multiple multiple motive multiple incentives i mean it was it was it was good it was good it was interesting and i think it really opened up the idea to different types of horror within the genre because this was I would call more like a comedy horror but then in the fifth movie they talk a lot about the ideas of elevated horror like um, Hereditary the Babadook movies that imply different elements of human emotion and range to make it all the more terrifying while still having the gore which I think is very interesting because slashers are some would say a dated a, da- a dated form of film which is why we're in like this requel kind of renaissance in Hollywood where there's no real new ideas I mean what last year the only new movie that cracked the top 10 was Free Guy and that was not good. I mean, I don't know. I didn't really like it. Yeah, if you hear sneezing and stuff, that's my dog. <laughs> he, he He's next to us and he won't leave. He's a little chihuahua and he's a pain in the butt. But I, I agree. Like, there's no really good movie slasher film that's coming out. I mean, that you really look at it and go, wow, this is incredible. We have to see a sequel. There's nothing. I mean, during that time period of Scream and I know what you did last summer, those are all movies that you like wanted to see something else happen. And uh, it just didn't, you know, like after these movies, there was really nothing else you could do. And no one's topped it, you know? That's true. No one's topped it. And I think that's why the genre is sort of shifted. But I like to see these old callbacks because it's like that nostalgia feel. Like with the ideas of this movie being more layered into the ideas of requels that are happening now instead of um, slashers. Um, I think it's really interesting that you have to play to the original audience to make it more interesting to your newer audience because everyone knows what's come before. And I mean, we could look at Star Wars The Force Awakens, right? Or like Ghostbusters because those follow all the requel world rules. I mean, minus the slasher ones. But <laughs> Yeah, I, I see um, like new, new Ghostbusters just came out you know they got the grandchildren and I mean wh- when does it stop though? I mean you know when does it get stupid I mean because you sit there and you look at it and go alright this is great like, they're bringing it back but then it, the plot are, plots are hammy they're not good I mean you look at them and you go okay you're just trying to make money off something that died a while back you know I didn't see the fifth screen but when uh, I get like the reviews and everything it's phenomenal so I don't know personally I'm going to have to go off your take so I am in the camp of people who find the movie amazing I think it paid really great homage to Wes Craven I think it really took from what was before and it tried to take some new ideas that I felt got a little heavy-handed at times but you know with good slashing good gore and charismatic characters I mean the dynamic between Courtney Cox and Neff Campbell alone could carry a whole film to go from hating each other to being enemies to trauma bonding basically and then surviving five killings that's crazy like that's wild yeah that is kind of crazy you know and, like all their friends everybody they were close to like got massacred so you know it's like where they're being together because of like a necessity you know it's not like they like each other it's not like they even care about each other it's just they don't want to die you know so they bond together by that factor 
together. Like no one, no one wants to be the one that causes the other person to die because they're watching all their friends drop off wayside. Exactly. And I thought it's so sad because I mean, in the fifth one, another spoiler: Dewey dies. He gets gutted, and it's actually a very emotional death because it shows in this one, even though we're known that legacy characters don't die, we see a legacy character die, and that I think is always tough because even if if there's a six, who's it gonna follow? Not Dewey, maybe Gale and Sydney again, but you can't have a scream without Sydney. Yeah, like uh, the death of Randy. I traumatized Sydney because like that was they survived and that was a survivor. So it was like when she, he got killed, it was like Sydney had survivor guilt because now she's the like only friend that was left alive by all the, the murders. So and you know, I liked Randy's character. I was kind of sad when he died too. I mean, it was like, but I get it. You know, the mother she he insulted the Loomis mother, vengeance on it. I, I get it, but I was kind of like bummed out because I thought Randy was a character. Uh, Randy was my favorite character, so I agree. I was so sad when they killed him, but I like that he popped up again in the third with that little video from his sister, and then uh, in the new one it's his niece and nephew that are the ties to the killer. So they have a big mural of him on the wall. It's pretty funny. Uh, every, Randy Meeks lives long in everyone's hearts. We all love him. <laughs> Shout out Randy. Yeah, so like I said, I didn't see the film yet, but I hear like it's Billy's daughter. So I'll hear it. So Sam Carpenter is uh, Billy's half-daughter. No, Billy's daughter. Um, but she's her sister's half-sibling, which is why she gets attacked in the opening. And she thinks that she has like some serial killer gene, which I think is insane because that's not real. Just because your dad's a killer doesn't make you a killer. So she really distances herself from everyone. And then when people start getting killed, she's like, it's because of me. And then everyone else actually has ties. So like I said, Mindy and her brother Chad are Randy Meeks' niece and nephew. We have uh, Tara, who's Sam's sister, whose best friend is Amber. Amber lives in Sue's house. So it's actually cool at the end. They have the same party. And then same final scene. It's pretty cool. And then the final friend, Wes, who's kind of like Randy of the group, or one of the Randys, I would say, um, is the son of Deputy Judy Hick. But they both died because they have. So the name Wes, do you think they put that in there in homage to Wes Raven? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they dedicated the whole film to him at the end. So I like that. I thought that was really nice. They even had text like, is Wes still begging you? Which kind of I read as like the writers being like, oh, we got Wes on our mind. Like he's bugging us from the grave. We got to pay it. Got to do it right. <laughs> yeah, he was a great, great director. I mean, I, I, all his movies, like you go, ooh, this is incredible. And um, it's a sad loss to the movie industry. And you know, like, this fifth film being tribute to him is, is is great. You know, like and all the character developments that happened over these uh, last couple of movies was just, you know, phenomenal. And yeah, I'm sorry to hear about Dewey, by the way. <laughs> I mean, he's an idiot, but like he was, he was everybody's funny idiot. You know, like everybody fond of the, 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 the moron Dewey. Yeah, it was, it was sad. And it had a, it had a tough impact on Gail, which gave her a good uh, redemption arc in the end to kill Amber. Amber's a killer. Also, Sam's boyfriend, Richie, because you can never trust the love interest. You learned that from the first one, and then it just keeps on getting repeated. But So, in the third movie, there was only one killer, and they went back to having multiple killers. Now, you think that was like a, a play on the fact that, you know, they wanted to hit the other movies, like, you know, back to the nostalgia, and then they realized that it didn't do as well, the two killers were better? Yes, I definitely think so, because with the third film, there was a lot of problems that happened with it during production. It was always getting rewritten. They wanted to amp up like the comedy factors of it and reduce the violence of it because Columbine had just happened. So there was a lot of reeling of violence in movies from that. So I think having it kind of be like this whodunit sort of only one killer tied to the family kind of far out story was their resolve. And then we see in 2011 with the news with Scream 4, we have a younger cast, not really um, related fully to the full cast, but we do get um, Nev and Courtney Cox back. Um, I think just because that was happening at the time of sequels, that's why they went back to the original because they saw that the old for the, a new formula didn't work with. So isn't like um, Nev Campbell's character like a, a developmental coach like has a book about like helping like isn't that kind of like odd you know like that she'd end up in that type of career after like dealing with such trauma? Absolutely because I mean we see in the in the second one she's in college in the third one she's helping on a, on a hotline for abused women and then we see her turn into a public teacher. Um, I think why we see her turn into a public figure with her self-help book is because since the death of her half-brother Roman who did all this horrible orchestrating in their minds. I think she thinks she's free from the trauma, which is why
why the fourth one hits and she's like oh i thought i thought i got rid of this kind of like how everyone feels when new movies come back like oh i thought i got rid of this but we're back in it we're back at it those faces back in yeah it kind of like develops into life where you know if one thing bad happens to you another thing bad happens to you automatically you start thinking that you're the cause of all this badness that you have like a, a dark shadow hanging over you and you feel you can never get out of it like whether it's working in a, a, a business or you know in life in general like relationships if one girl dumps on you or one boy dumps on you or whoever you are with dumps on you then you feel that you can't have a good relationship because you've carried over this bad omen that it's always going to be a dark thing in your life exactly and at the beginning of the fifth movie Sydney actually gets a call from Dewey and he's like it's happening again and she goes you know what nothing's going to get me to come to Woodsboro I'm staying in California and then the catalyst to get her to come to Woodsboro is actually Dewey's death so it's not till the third act that we see her because you have to do something traumatic to get Sydney back to Woodsboro you're gonna you're gonna complete killings yeah that's you know that would do it I mean Dewey was like a main figure with her I mean you know she viewed him as an idiot too but but she also like it was that loving caring you know, she knew he loved her you know and just like you know Neville Campbell and, and um, Courtney Cox like, they, they had that bond of love you know because they went through so much together I mean I would even go so far as to say that Sydney viewed Dewey as a surrogate older brother I mean when you see her relationship with Tara in the beginning and then they both lose her I mean that's her best friend that's his younger sister and then I think through that they really grew closer especially I mean even after his like falling out with Gail they were still always it was like big brother Dewey big deputy Dewey like he's always there to protect me yeah yeah I mean you know that was her best friend and when she got killed that traumatized I mean but the character alone had so much trauma in her life I mean you know I, I, I felt bad for her after like the second movie I was like what else can go wrong for this woman and that's a stupid thing to ask a lot of stuff goes wrong with that woman I mean you kind of you kind of like kind of like man you you know maybe you just stay in a box and never leave never leave the box the box is safe you know you leave the box the killers are coming you know it's it's just it's, it's traumatizing to the poor girl same thing with Courtney Cox I mean you know she started out as a reporter you know like covering like all these murders thinking it was great you know oh I'm gonna be like uh, you know make the, the headline news and, da, da, da. and all of a sudden she's like well I don't want this no more I don't want death I'm tired of it exactly and I think it's funny to see her being so um go-getter in the first two films especially it seems like after dealing with death from the first film when she comes back in the second she's very feisty very out for out to get a story she's gonna sacrifice her new cameraman before he walks away she's like we're gonna do what we had to do to get to this killer and I think as time progresses she's like no I can't I can't do this it's it weighs too much on you you know it's too well I don't know I've ever killed anybody but <laughs> but yeah I've had thoughts I'm not gonna lie there's been business in this you know I'm sure everybody has uh, I'm not promoting anybody to go and deal with by the way this is a joke uh, laugh 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 ha 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 you know we're just talking about the movie don't actually put on a mask and go hacking people that's not what we're trying to do here because you will get killed by the final girl shot in the head happens to every killer because in the third movie one of the rules is that the killer has to be superhuman and Roman wears gold vest so even when they shoot Ghostface he doesn't die yeah like all these rules you know, you're like, like you can't do drugs you can't I mean who wants to be intoxicated I'm sorry like I have to agree with that one by the way who wants to be intoxicated and messed up when people are getting hacked all around you I want full awareness all right I want to know what's going on I don't want to be under any influence all right uh, unless it's painkillers after I've been stabbed and successfully killed the killer exactly I think just being like drunk in that situation would just be a trip I'd be like because I mean when I'm drunk I talk to everybody I'd be like you trying to kill me nah you're trying to kill me I don't believe it <laughs> I would die for sure yeah you know the comic relief always dies so I'm, I'm pretty much I'm out <laughs> I'm done <laughs> I'm like the first one out of here <laughs> you know so so guys you know we've been nice uh, <laughs> hope you enjoyed the podcast you know if there's any slashes out there you don't know my address <laughs> they won't come for us it's not like they know where we work <laughs> but yeah I think what the fifth one really succeeded at was just really embracing the scenes from the first that had some of the best impact I mean there's a scene at the end when Mindy is laying on the same couch that Randy lays in in the first scream watching a Randy scene from Stab while it's being while she's actually living it with the killer actually behind her I mean that kind of 
layering and meta is just so fun to me. I, th I think it's what sets these movies apart and really makes them great, you know? They really embrace how silly movies can be while existing in a world where everyone's motives are by film because they only relate to them. Yeah, like, um, speaking of the stab, like, I, I was watching part two and I'm like, okay, they're making a movie about this. It kind of recently happened, so, like, isn't that kind of, like, like really quick? I mean, most people, like, it would take years for that to actually happen. People aren't going to jump on because they don't want to relive that so quick. But then while the stab movie was playing, people are getting killed in the theater and, um, you know, Billy Loomis's mother, or, you know, I'm thinking maybe she felt the same way. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, my son just died and you're making these movies, like, making him out to be a jerk. So maybe that kind of pushed her over the edge. And I think it did. And that's why she went with crazy film student Mickey, who was like, no, the Christian right going to fund my trial. Movies do make killers. They make us crazy. They make us more creative. We're, this is a new generation. And I think it's really interesting because you see, you never hear of Billy Loomis's mom. You just know that she left. You don't, you don't know anything else. And then she comes back kind of as this killer. It's very reminiscent to me of the original Friday the 13th where Mrs. Voorhees is actually the killer not Jason and she's just there to avenge her her dead son just basically what's happening that's the spot yeah it's funny because like most people when they hear Friday the 13th they automatically assume that Jason was the killer but like the first movie no no you're wrong it was Jason's father like that's an overlook back in the movies and that's probably exactly why you know, they hit on that in screen but you know if you think about it like murdering all these people uh, she didn't get her son back like her her goal was to like avenge him but like in the end she really didn't like she didn't she didn't accomplish anything she may have killed all these people but in the end she lost she lost she lost her life she lost her cause um Mickey also died so he never got to go on trial and I mean and I think it shows that revenge is typically I mean always for not like what what do you get from revenge not death I guess yeah, I mean, revenge, you never you never get anything out of revenge. All you get is yourself in trouble or, or death. This doesn't work. And um, as far as the Mickey the film student, you know, that hit on a key issue too because you do see like when things go bad and there's killers out there and things, you do see people jumping to help the cause, you know, and try and give them money to help, you know, get them out of prison. These people did crimes, you know, they're not nice people. And you like, you get the people out there going, oh, I have to help him. Like the Tiger King, people making funding for the Tiger King. He was a bad person. You know, he did bad things. I mean, granted, the other person, the ladies, I mean, Carol, Carol Baskins, I mean, come on, like, I'm not going to say she killed her husband, but like, I'm going to. I'm gonna say she killed her husband, you know, and uh, and like people are like run, running to make funding for these people, and the same thing with Mickey. I mean, people, you know, he believed in his head because that's what society deems that if he did something wrong, someone out there would fund his trial. Exactly, and we even see a callback to that in the fifth one with Amber, who's like, "Well, I was radicalized by subreddits," which we see actually a lot now with QAnon and whatever else is going on. But she's like, "I was radicalized into believing that I could kill, and it would be as impactful as the first ones." It's like, "No, you're dumb. That's not gonna happen." Sounds. Silly. Yeah, wrongful justification, big time, right there. <laughs> I mean, you're gonna actually think that in your head. I mean, but the thing is, you know, it's crazy because people watch these movies and they actually like get stuff out of it. And like, we make these movies like for fun and to enjoy. And, uh, but there's people out there that actually put this stuff into use. They go, "Oh, wait a minute, I can do this. I, if I did this, it would work better than this." You know, and they they become killers and they honestly believe this works. You know, and um, all these movies actually have brought more attention to you know criminals out there. Like, you know, you see more, more shows about like catching serial killers and catching murderers and you know because these these films have had such an impact on people that, you know, the, the law enforcement and people that come serial killers are influenced by this. They have to they have to adjust the fact that there's better killers out there, there's better police forces out there. And these movies develop over time too with the fact there's more better police officers and better killers and, you know, it's just like all a progression of evil. It is. And I think it's because we, with the, with advances in technology and with how readily media is, um, we can see everything that's happening. I mean, we grow up with more violence on our screens than love. I mean, why is nudity and sex an our thing? But I can watch someone's face get blown 
blown up in a PG-13 movie. That's crazy to me. That's crazy to me. It's like, what are we pushing? Because, I mean, we're not this puritanical society that we pretend to be if we're so afraid of certain things, but we'll show excessive violence constantly. Like, we're going to think, like, this is going to have an impact on someone at some point. Like, who are, who are we to say it's not? Yeah, I agree. Like, I'm older, so when I was growing up, like, if I watched the news, they occasionally put on there, you know, like, little Susie won the spelling bee. Yay, little Susie. Now it's little Susie was blown to bits and uh, pieces of her everywhere. Uh, film at 11. And, you know, and, like, there's no happiness on the news. Like, you turn it on and, like, they're like, oh, traumatized, traumatized, traumatized. And, you know, it's not even fun watching the news anymore because you know it's not going to be anything positive. There's no positiveness in the news. They're not like, you know, hey, you know, next week we're going to have this this fair and you should all come. You don't see that. You're like, unless the fair was blown up and people ran a truck through it, you're not going to see anything about no fair. It's so true. And I think it's I think it's so sad, but it's also so telling of the time. And I had a really good point to make and then I lost it. I'm so sorry. Um, Come back one more. Yeah, the times have definitely changed. And, you know, with that time, change has also become, you know, more sad society. I mean, like you look around and people, there's not no happiness, no joy. I mean, we work people every day and we see people and they never say anything nice to us. And if they do, it's like out of sarcasm. I mean, it's really sad. You don't see people like joyful and happy. And uh, unless you come where I work, because I'm a moron and I dance and sing in the aisles and I make a total ass of myself, but it's fun. And I, you know, I, I, I get everybody else involved too. So no, it's all fun. And I think, I think the world does need more joy, but I think what we're seeing with the progression of how popular horror is becoming is because it's an outlet for people to see some of their greatest fears and anxieties actually conquered because outside in the world, we're not seeing any progress. We're not seeing it get conquered. But I can watch Scream and I know that the killer is going to get shot in the face and it, it brings me a sense of protection. I don't know why. You can call a psychologist, but I think it's really interesting and that's why I think horror is kind of having a resurgence and why it's doing so well. Yeah, most definitely. And not to mention they've played out every single superhero movie you could ever think of. I mean, is they, any more releases of superheroes is just ridiculous. But uh, I think the concept of all this is like standing out above other people, like not being part of the crowd, not being like a victim, not being like following in the flow of other people, like stepping up. You know, like, like everybody in life we've ever looked to has been someone that stood out from the crowd. You know, whether you're a, a Muslim, whether you're a Christian, you look at Jesus, you look at Buddha, you look at a Muhammad. These are all people that didn't go with the flow of the crowd. They weren't sheep. They weren't like the flock that got like, slaughtered. They stood up and said, you know what? I'm not going to take this no more. And that's like the heroes and the superheroes. They're not people that are normal. They're people that stood up and like had powers and like those to help people. Same thing with serial killers. You know, you get serial killers out there. You get these people that could have just went in protective hiding, and they, but they instead they took it on themselves to try and solve the mystery, to sign, you know, kill the killer, to, to be a hero. Exactly. That's why I say if I ever get murdered, have a woman with a podcast find my killer. They will do it so quick. They are the best because they do stand out across against the crowd. But no, truly back to your point. Like I believe that like, when you watch like these and like you see this, I mean, you'll always have the Billies and the Mickeys and the Charlies and the Richies and the Ambers who will always side with serial killer. And to them, those are like your messiahs, right? Just like you were saying, though that's who stands out in the crowd to them. And then there's so much. And then when you look survivors, survivors look people like Lori to Sydney to um, I don't know. I would even say like Danny in Midsummer, maybe even I don't know. Do you have any other strong female ladies that survive that you like? I'd like to point out a point here that like all men die. <laughs> I'm feeling kind of upset here. The only kid that the only guy that survives is the kid from Chucky. All right, <laughs> he, he, you know he's the only one that a male figure that makes it. I mean, so if you're a guy in a movie, you're just screwed. And especially if you have any kind of libido and you want to have sex, you're just done. I mean, look what happened to Kevin Bacon. Like Friday the Thirteenth, Kevin Bacon, an arrow stuck through his throat. I mean, you know, it makes or, or 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 even Johnny Depp in Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, look, don't guys, if you're ever in a horror movie, don't have sex. All right, that's one of the rules. Because like, guess what? She's gonna get out of there, and you're done. Exactly. Because and I think it's even it's even so showing. Like, did you ever see that movie Cabin in the Woods? You never saw Cabin in the Woods? All the guys die except for no, except for the Randy character. I was just gonna say it really plays on 
onto the fact while being a horror comedy and sort of meta within the tales um it's real it's really funny that you bring that up because yeah all the guys die <laughs> You, you know, it's 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 one of those things where like you look at the movie and it, it's the heroine. Of, you have to have a heroine. There has to be a female heroine to feel bad for, to root for. You know, it's like olden days where they had the girl tied to the railroad tracks and they, oh my god, oh my god, oh. And then the guy comes and saves her, but they don't care about the guy saving her. They care about the girl getting saved. So that's how it goes in life. I mean, you know, so guys, listen, if you do the saving, you're gonna get the credit. See, that's so interesting that you viewed that that way, just because I do have a different point of that because I always viewed those women as just plot devices for the man to have a heroic save. I mean, outside of that, who was? you no one here we have women who are people they they have their own ideas they're their own survivors they're gonna fight their own battles they're gonna be who they want to be i think and then but yeah i mean guys get no credit except for being killers right <laughs> yeah but you know you, you gotta put a good point um when you have the female roles like become like heroes it really plays into like um society because like, along for the longest time women would be viewed as like weak and, and, and inferior and you know unable to do the things that men do and then you have these movies come out with the slasher films where you know it's a guy killer coming after them and the girl outsmarts them does better than them and no matter how many people they kill, they can't kill that one female character because she is not going to fall victim to any man. Which is a great point because Sydney subverts that by falling victim to Billy and sleeping with him, which is how men view like glory over women typically in films. And then she ends up killing him, which I think is super empowering because she's like, no, you can't beat me. You took something, you took an air quote, something from me, but you can't defeat me. I'll defeat you. Which I think is so powerful because we never really saw that before. 100%. Like, and it's, it's empowering to women. I mean, I think more female characters, more female leads need to be out there, you know, where they're, they're the hero and you know, for young girls to look up to and like be like, look, I want to be, the, I want to be somebody that's a hero, uh, not a Cardassian, because guess what, ladies, like sleep with famous people is not going to get you anything but sleep with famous people. Uh, be someone that makes something in your life. Like go out there and be, be the next doctor, be the next lawyer, be the next person that makes a difference in the world. You know, be the next president of the United States. Be someone that battles against the injustices like people do in these films. That's so true. Always, always strive to be the best version of yourself and know that helping others is always one way that you can do that. But also help yourself. But that rule from like a plane, put your mask on before you put on someone else's. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? You put a mask on, you'll get dead. <laughs> I don't know. Are you a killer? I'm fine. I'm, I'm relief. I don't, I don't want to die. <laughs> so I agree 100%. And I, I, I'm looking forward to actually seeing um, the stream five. You know, I, well, I got to see four first. But, you know, I still get I want to look at four. I think you could get four. Um, four is, it's okay. It's good. Um, I would just watch five is better. If you like the original three, because five ties into all the original three with four with uh, Deputy Judy Hicks. But uh, like I said, she dies early. So weak, uh, weak line there. Yeah, 100%. Um, well, uh, is there anything else you want to add? I mean, I have loads of notes, but I'm just going to add some. Uh, fun facts that I have from watching the uh, fifth movie. Um, if you watch closely when Richie is watching a stab on YouTube, there's a video that insinuates that Kirby is alive and maybe Stu Macker. Really interesting. Would love to see him come back. Um, also a nice tie into Scream 3. I think that Sydney is married to Matt, Patrick Dempsey's detective character because she says, I mean Mark, sorry. No, Matt. Right. <laughs> Matt. Um, let's see. I have so many notes. I want to talk about all of that. <laughs> I mean, we covered so much. We already really did talk about everything I wanted to Oh, one last thing I wanted to say about the parallels in the first and the last movie is that they both happen at Stu's house, final party, and they both have the same number of kills because they go back onto seven. In Scream 2, Randy says there's always got to be more deaths. It's always got to be bloodier, which is true for Scream 2. They had 10 deaths, and I mean, I think they used like two gallons of blood for when they killed Randy in that uh, booth. I mean, in that bad band. But then, yeah, I think it was really interesting that they brought it back down to every detail with this movie, this new one. They really, really dotted their eyes and crossed their teeth. Is that what I'm saying? Yeah, so maybe like, you know, in homage to West, they did that, you know, because 
because that was his he had seven he had so maybe they went back to like you know using the original idea of how many people had died how many people had to be in it you know and like what it well reflecting back on the very first one. exactly and I mean Sydney has this great line some people may view it as a, a throwaway line but she even says the killer is calling she goes you know what I've seen this movie before this isn't new to me she hangs up the phone on them she's like are you gonna traumatize me I'll traumatize you right back I'm gonna kill you yeah that's awesome um so like this podcast is um something that I want you all to remember is something that promotes you to dare to be different that's my model for this podcast is dare to be different and that hits on the screen like, dare to be different don't be a victim be, be better than what you have you know, people view you as don't don't have anybody ever tell you that you're not worth something don't let anybody make you feel like you're not worth it. dare to be different and um stand up for whatever you believe in always always i mean you're your biggest advocate in life and you're also the greatest person in your life and you should always strive to be the best version of yourself always be different always be who you are and always be unique and authentic i think that's that's the most important thing i think a lot with social media and onlineness we see a lot of fakeness a lot of curation of what life should look like especially with influencers i mean how can you discern what's real and what's not so it's it's really important to remember who you are at the end of the day because all this that we're talking about film and media it's all it's all bullshit i mean oh can i swear sorry i mean it's all fake like i mean and even even Stu, it goes back to what Stu and billy say in the beginning they go don't worry it's not gonna hurt it's just like a horror movie no but this is real life i mean so i think it's really important to remember no matter what you see no matter how much you consume or like it's all about who you are and always be true to yourself and unique and different well said so it's me and kara here with her her, her boyfriend ben i'm gonna call him silent ben uh because he's just sitting here so next time he comes he's gonna have to get involved because this is how it works here you don't just sit on the couch not to speak on what's happening shout out ben who uh never had seen a movie before me as it appears in every conversation we've ever had but he can tell you about the past losing because i had to sit through that monstrosity yeah we won't talk about that <laughs> so uh, i hope you all enjoy this um kira's going to be on again a couple of times she's going to be co-host for a while uh she's got some great insights and some positive stuff she's bringing to what's happening so um please tune in and uh, tune in next time to find out what's happening